The Farming Programme. Hello, I'm Steve Orchard. Hope you've had a lovely Christmas. This is part two of our look back at the year and thoughts on the direction of travel in 2024 from many farming and rural viewpoints. If you missed part one last week, search for The Farming Programme on any podcast platform. Go to linksfm.co.uk or ask your smart speaker to play The Farming Programme 24th of December. We'll start this week with a familiar voice before he takes his winter break, reviewing the crops and one of the biggest headaches of the year, the weather. It's our crop doctor, Sean Sparling. Morning, Sean. Yes, morning, Steve. I can't believe it's New Year again. You know, it doesn't seem five minutes since we were saying that for last Christmas, does it? Life just whooshing past us faster and faster, it seems to me. An awful lot's happened in this last 12 months, though, and I, for one, am going to be pleased to see the back of 2023, not least because of the extraordinary weather we've seen in the last 12 months and more especially over the last 12 weeks or so, of course, which has disrupted this autumn. 98 millimetres of rain in the last 19 days of September, 197 mil for me in October, 78 mil in November, and 71 mil so far in December. That's 17 and a half inches of rain for me since the 10th of September. And in that 98 days, there were 30 where it didn't rain at all. Now that sounds like plenty of dry drilling days then in those 14 weeks. But the reality, because of the quantities of rain we saw fall in that main October drilling period was that we saw a wet start to October off the back of a very wet end to September. We took 17 mil of rain in the last week of September, 10 mil of rain on the first two days of October and that meant it wasn't really dry enough to go drilling an awful lot unless you'd been drilling into September before the 6th of October when an awful lot of wheat started to go in the ground. And then on the 11th, 12th and 13th of October, amounts varied, but I took well over 40 mill of rain on those three days so we waited for the land to dry out enough to go drilling again and just when we thought it was getting somewhere near again amounts across the county vary but four days after that 40 odd mil I took another 100 mil on the 18th 19th and 20th and I know many many people who took 140 mil and more over those three days and that left most of the county's prime arable land either waterlogged at best or completely underwater at worst and that was October pretty much jiggered then you know it wasn't drying out there were dry days but not drying days and with the rivers full to the bank tops and the EA letting it all happen on fire ditches couldn't get the water away field drain outfalls were underwater because of the backup so on the land the water stayed you know three more days then with no more rain but then another 18 mil on the 24th 11 mil on the 26th and four miserably wet days to finish off October so unless you drilled any week between the 2nd and the 10th of October you really didn't drill anything in October at all and unfortunately there were plenty of those fields that were drilled that have now rotted off thanks to that waterlogging then along came November to save the autumn drilling, often a very nice month November. Well, this November was anything but nice, 64 mil in the first 20 days of November, no dry days at all in that three-week run, and coming off the back of October's 200-odd mil, the same old writing was clearly on the wall. 20 days of rain, four days with no rain but not drying, then another 15 mil on the 26th and 27th, three more days without rain into December without any real drying weather since early October. It's 
started off foggy in December, then we had three inches of snow on the second, followed by rain pretty much every day since that snow, to a total of 71 mil to where I am today. An autumn to forget, I think. We were all saying in September that we'd never see another autumn as bad as 2019, but to be quite honest, I think this autumn is worse. It's certainly the wettest year I've ever recorded. 876 mil and counting for me. And don't forget the 90-odd mil of rain we took in March, the 54 mil of rain in the first 16 days of April that complicated our spring drilling. So plenty of spring barley last year got mauled in in April. And if there are two crops that don't like being mauled in, it's spring barley and the peas that were being mauled in as well. And they proved that at harvest. A lot of spring barley, peas, beans, sugar beet went into some very questionable seedbeds in April this year. Once it had dried out enough to get started in the second half of the month, and then with another 47 mil in the first 16 days of May, the seed was wetted in and beautifully in the ground. We all thought this was it. It finally stopped raining around the 16th of May. But as with everything to do with farming and the weather, predictably, I suppose, it dried out way too much and it, it didn't rain again until the 18th of June from the 16th of May. And that dry weather, coupled to the temperatures in the high 20s and low 30s, you know, seed beds were actually really painful to walk on in some cases as they baked into hard concrete. The tops of the seed bed just dried out so quickly. And spring crops like barley, peas, beans, sugar beet, they sat in baked concrete and dust in many, many fields. So we saw initial spring crop establishment severely hampered by the wet conditions we saw in March and April, and then almost parched out by the subsequently hot, dry stuff we saw from mid-May to the end of June. That's the period that we really needed some rainfall in order to fill the grains on the winter cereals. Then we had July, and remember, July we need the weather to be warm and sunny. Sunshine is the key to a successful harvest. We need that sunshine. July 2023 was anything but sunny. Another 99.8 mil of rain for me in July. Eight days without rain and very little in the way of sunshine to ripen these crops that hadn't had the rainfall in June to fill them in the first place. So harvest was a pretty average do really, by no means a disaster. But after that colossal harvest we saw in 2022, which incidentally was the best harvest I've ever seen, we dragged and we slithered ourselves through to harvest 2023. Oilseed rate yields initially very disappointing on the whole. The dry weather and the lack of sunshine meant the seeds were there in number but not in size. So even on farms that routinely yield four and a half to five tonnes per hectare for me, they were doing well to get three and a half to three and three quarter tonnes per hectare. Hagbergs and the quality in general in the cereals was down in the wheats because they died off rather than ripening in the unsunny conditions that we saw throughout July. And that lack of sunshine really was the biggest issue for us. You know, spring crop yields in general last year, all over the place, depending upon the seedbed conditions we achieved, soil types and drilling dates and all because of the fact that when it needed to be dry it was wet when it needed to be wet it was dry when it needed to be warm it was cold and when it needed to be sunny it was cloudy you know whereas one would usually expect to get five tons of peas and five tons of spring beans to the hectare we were lucky to get two and a half tons per hectare spring barley varied anything from five tons to eight tons 
per hectare, depending upon how lucky you were. Winter beans grew like I've never seen them grow before. And the wet conditions in March and early April, that saw chocolate spot move in and decimating some of these winter bean crops before they'd even started to flower. I've never had to put a fungicide onto a winter bean crop before flowering in 35 years of doing this job. Spring beans either, for that matter. But that's just the way the weather messed with us in spring 2023. So many winter bean crops were about six foot tall with a dozen pods at the bottom and only two or three beans to a pod to boot and then harvest done just when you thought it was safe to get back in the dryer wheats and barleys had come into the store warm and damp not particularly wet but warm and damp and with the cold dry days being few and far between this early autumn these crops have stayed well over four degrees celsius in store so warm heaps and a little damp perfect environment for both primary and secondary grain store pests and we've seen issues with everything from grain weevils to socoids and book lice grain weevils being primary pests that feed on the grain itself and secondary pests like the socoids and the book lice bark flies some people call them which feed on the fungi that grow on the grain not on the grain itself but all a testament to that warm slightly moist grain so a harvest that we should be grateful to have got out of alive i reckon but more issues from grain store pests than we've seen for several years. If only we'd all worked harder at school, Steve. It must be nice not to have the weather as your lord and master, because what 2023 has shown us absolutely unequivocally is that this farming job is totally at the mercy of the weather, from planting to growing to ripening to harvesting and to storing. And as I say, you know, I'm pleased to see the back of 2023. Let's just pray that 2024 is just the opposite of that and a perfect season of weather like that that we saw in 2022. We can but hope. It's all about looking this job really and in a year like 2023 you know we were just along for the ride and looking back we will all see and appreciate that that's why it's so utterly frustrating to have just experienced the autumn drilling campaign for harvest 2024 such as we have still absolutely nothing we can do about the weather and as far as those of you who are beating yourselves up for not taking more opportunities to go drilling earlier even on that bad black grassland just think about it. 98 mil of rain from the 11th of September to the 30th. 10 mil of rain in the first two days of October. Dry-ish to about the 10th of October. And then 187 mil of rain in the last 21 days of October. And rain every day, totalling over 63 mil up to the 22nd of November. So it's not about any of you missing opportunities to go drilling. It has everything to do with there being no opportunities to miss. Simple as that. It's really been too wet to drill any more than we drilled and in some cases I think it would have been far better not to have drilled that which we have. So roll on 2024 I say and it can't possibly be as bad as 2023 can it? Anyway let's see what the next 365 days bring. Thank you Sean a very happy new year to you enjoy your break Sean's back with a look at the crops and some sound agronomy advice in three weeks on the farming program. If weather is one constant in farming, so is the challenge of money. Brian Richardson from Virgin Money, welcome back. A challenging financial year, would you say? I, I think certainly. I think generally for uh, everyone in the UK, really, it's been challenging with higher interest rates. I think the farming side, there are all the normal challenges there, a lot of input inflation, and then along comes even higher rates. That started the year before, but it, it's obviously followed through this year with a base rate now of five and a quarter percent. But uh, I think there's a little bit of uh, a glint of hope on the horizon that perhaps 
interest rates, my Treasury colleagues tell me, are uh, bottoming out in terms of any further increases. And uh, we may, over a longer period of time, just start to see them reduce a little bit. Yeah, it's interesting with interest rates, isn't it? Because it depends on who you talk to as to what they think may well happen. And we're all doing crystal ball gazing or trying to. But they do seem to have maybe peaked. That would be the hope, I think. I think rather than you know, rely on our own sensibilities at, uh, at the moment, the, the bank looks at a, a group of forecasters and sort of compiles that all together. And I think uh, the betting now is perhaps that certainly the, the next meeting, there won't be any further increases. And uh, if you look at further out at five and 10 year swap rates, there's certainly some reduction coming through there. But I I think, yeah, the thing for everyone to bear in mind is that there's nothing indicating we're going to get down to the very low rates we'd perhaps become accustomed to. So these sort of rates or or not too far away from them are are what we need to use for any forward planning, I think, in in the short to medium term. Talking of forward planning, a nice link into what we think is going to be coming around the corner in 2024. Certainly there's a lot of talk about pressure on prices still. We've had problems with the crops because of the rains and lost crops and shortages are forecast for next year in certain areas. Farmers, like all of us, are going to come under pressure again, I think, aren't they, next year? Is the bank going to be helping out? Yes, certainly. I mean, I think 2024, I don't think it's going to be a lot different. There's going to be lots of challenge around in terms of that residual inflation, I think, still coming through and, and farmers picking up on that. Certainly, it's been a more expensive autumn. There's plenty of potential challenge for the coming year. Perhaps financially, it, it will be tighter. I think the main thing, which I always say, is really every farmer just needs to plan as much as they can looking forward. We're obviously now, we've got the rollout of uh, SFI coming on as BPI reduces, and farmers have seen 35% of that come off their payments and there'll be another 15% to come off next year. So I think it is important that all farmers start to look at what's available there if they haven't done so already. Uh, but another challenging year, I think, financially from a bank point of view, we always recognise agriculture as a long-term industry and I think all, all the banks are in the same position on that. So it's seeing support there. I think we need to see, you know, farmers planning forward and and looking at what they need to do and understanding any implications in terms of cash flow. And if if anybody is challenged, then they need to talk to the bank sooner rather than later. But certainly, I think we're we're there to support the industry. It is that long-term industry. And the vast majority of our our customers plan for the long term, and we support them along that way. One of the areas that planning is certainly required for is carbon, isn't it? Net zero. They're the buzzwords around at the moment. Very much so. And I think there may be a feeling amongst some that perhaps the, the agenda on that has gone away a little bit. And I think certainly you know, some of the noises coming out of government have, have been slightly appearing to move backwards. But, yeah, the UK has some very challenging targets to meet for 2030. Um, UK government wrote those into, into law, so they've got to be met and agriculture will need to play its part in that. So, the survey we did, and I mentioned this before, I, I think showed 50% of farmers had done a carbon audit, and I would be pushing farmers, if they're going to make any New Year resolutions, to, to think about doing a carbon audit in 2024 if they haven't done so already. I think they'll find Can I just it interrupt you just for two secs there, Brian, before you go on? What is contained in a carbon audit for those who've not done it? 
It's really a deep delve into your farming enterprise and identifying where that carbon is and perhaps more importantly where there's opportunities to reduce that carbon. So for the Northern Sheep event last year, we, we did a carbon audit on the farm as part of our involvement with it. And it was very much that deep delve into the, the site using standardized measurements to say, yeah, this is how much carbon is produced from this enterprise and then looking at possible mitigation. So simple things like, uh, well, perhaps not so simple things, but uh, you know, understandable things like tree planting, hedge planting, but also using less energy, looking at and identifying where those higher levels of carbon are coming from and being able to benchmark that against others who've also done a carbon audit. So I think a really useful tool, uh, you need a good consultant behind it to support your, your understanding of that. But very worthwhile and I, th- I think well worth the investment to to get that done. DEFRA will be uh, publishing a report very shortly just identifying perhaps which of the carbon audits are the ones to focus on uh, and that'll be a help to farmers as well. We have an election next year of course that could throw the cat amongst the pigeons. Uh, the smart money seems to be that the colour of the government will be changing next year but of course we don't know. Uh, any thoughts on on what may happen whenever it comes? Well, as you say, the, the, there seems to be a likelihood there may be a change in, in colour whether there's running the election. I think we've got policy running up until that election, and that's been fairly well set out. That includes the 50% reduction in BPS, and at the moment, you know, the government is saying that reduction will continue for another three or four years, and BPS will entirely disappear obviously a new new government coming in can look at that again and perhaps there's an argument that where we've got to at the moment and some of the challenges around new policy coming through it may be worthwhile taking a pause with bps uh, just stopping at the 50 percent reduction and seeing where where everything uh, sets out and the other important uh, piece of the jigsaw really is what's the budget going to be you know we, we've had this sort of circa two and a half billion budget for agriculture it's critically important to the industry and supports a lot of uh, work right across the industry in terms of preserving food production but also the the environmental work that goes on that may well come under pressure i think going forward so it's important you know farmers and, and farming organizations are aware of that and uh, lobbying into um, any new administration that comes along and I guess the, the resolution for any farmer, and we probably said this exactly the same last year, really, is plan. If you're going to plan. describe it in one word, plan. Yeah, plan uh, ahead. Yeah, take a deep delve in, into your business. Understand some of the what's coming down the road in terms of SFI, new policy, grants, and also net zero. So a few things to look at, but... I think the resilience of the industry is always there, but you can make that resilience a little bit easier to deal with uh, and perhaps not quite as necessary if there's good planning. All right, Brian, thank you very much for joining us on the programme again. Thank you. This is the Farming Programme online podcast end-of-year special part two. We're looking back at the year and considering what's in store for 24. Next, one organisation without whom many in the rural economy would find life even tougher. Lincolnshire Rural Support Network, LRSN. Their charity manager is Amy Thomas. Amy, have you seen more need for your services in 2023? 
Yeah, we, we really have seen an increase in, in people coming forward for support, particularly around those sorts of issues. You know, uh, anything really business and finance related, we've definitely seen an increase in. Lots of people sort of facing quite complicated challenges, which, which obviously take a little bit more helping to sort out. But a real increase amongst um, business and finance cases coming through across the whole year, really. Have you noticed any sort of changes this year? Because if you go back a couple of years, it was all COVID. We had the Ukraine situation. Have you noticed any changes this year in the types of things you're being asked to help with? I think the biggest change we've noticed are the pressures coming from multiple different directions. So like you say, in the past, it might have been a a kind of a single theme, for instance, COVID. But this year, it seems that people are being bombarded with challenges from all sorts of different directions. And that seems to be the theme this year. So, you know, we are seeing those business issues. We are seeing people sort of under increasingly difficult financial strain. But we're also seeing, you know, really challenging weather conditions um, people really beginning to feel the impact of um, sort of the changes in the way subsidies are being paid and really trying to get their heads around what that might mean for them in the future so I think that's been the theme this year complicated numbers of challenges let's just take a step back for a moment for those who don't know in those situations whatever they may be whether they're business or personal financial or whatever what help can LRSN offer? Confidential and free impartial support. So we will walk alongside people and support them to tackle the challenges that they're facing. We're really fortunate that we've got a really good group of staff and volunteers with a huge range of skills and experiences. So that, that means we can help people tackle whatever challenges they're facing, whether that business issues, uh, relationship issues, uh, financial issues. Uh, similarly, we, we offer mental health support. We have a mental health nurse who leads our volunteer team and we, we can offer sort of specific mental health support or even just a chance to sort of have someone to listen and offer a sort of arm of friendship. You know, what, whatever the problem, we are here to help. I'll get the contact details from you at the end, uh, Amy, because that's an important thing that we need to point out where people can go for this assistance. How about your staff and your volunteers this year? What have they been up to? (laughs) Uh, A a lot, I would imagine. (laughs) Yes, I have kept them busy. Um, We've been really busy. So we have a number of of different volunteer teams. Um, Some of them are are volunteers who work directly with with our people who come to us to support our clients. Um, And they've been really busy. We've supported um, 176 families this year, which is fantastic. Um, We also have a volunteer team who answers our helpline and takes those calls that uh, from people who, who are looking for some support. And they've taken 121 calls this year which is fantastic. They've been really, really brilliant. We couldn't have managed without them. And our nurses, nursing team, have been so busy. They have established a brand new clinic at Melton Livestock Market because we know a lot of Lincolnshire farmers go out to Melton, um, but have also continued to deliver their clinics at Louth Livestock Market and Spalding Auction, as well as being out and about on the health hut. I know you visitors have gone the health hut, haven't you? Yeah, these are um, a really, really useful thing because we know farmers are so busy and also we're typical blokes, most of us. No, no, there's nothing wrong with me. I'll just get on. I'll be fine. 
Um, the health screening service that you provide is quick and ever so easy. And as you say, you can just drop in when you're at market. That's the advantage. You don't need to make an appointment. You don't even need to take your boots off. If You know, you can just pop in and see the nurse. The nurse is sort of a friendly face, part of the furniture at the market these days. And I think that really makes a difference. Um, it can be really hard, I think, to take time out to look after yourself when you're really busy and you've got lots of other people, um, livestock, um, all sorts of things sort of relying on you. Um, and so actually having a nurse there where you're already on business makes a real difference. Um, and our nurses have done over 4,000 health checks this year, um, wow. which is phenomenal, really. It really is a fantastic service. And everything that LRSN provides is really a beacon of hope for many. Let's do a little bit of crystal ball gazing into 2024. What are the plans for LRSN? So we have a really exciting 2024 ahead of us because we're celebrating 25 years of LRSN, which is just astounding, really. Um, so we're going to be doing lots of different things to celebrate our 25th year, including uh, lots of events. We want to try and bring people together socially, give people the opportunity to make connections and, and sort of form supportive relationships, really as well as spreading the word about what we do and hopefully raising some funds along the way. So we're kicking that off in January around Farmhouse Breakfast Week and we're going to be doing some free breakfasts at our markets uh, as part of our health clinics. So we'll be in Louth at the market there on the 15th of January, Spalding on the 17th of January and at Melton on the 24th of January uh, where you can pop in and have a chat with a nurse, find out more about what they do and have the opportunity to have a free breakfast with them. So that, that will be exciting. Um, and that's just the start of, of uh, you know, a lot, a lot of events and activities that will celebrate 25 years. And in terms of, I suppose, a bit of crystal ball gazing, I think we're going to continue to be busy. We're seeing quite a few challenging cases, particularly around the impacts of the wet weather. Um, and I think the impact of that's being, you know, will, will be felt even more into the new year. There's still a lot of standing water around in fields as you travel across the county. So I think the beginning part of the year might be quite busy supporting people um, as, as they kind of face the issues that that brings. I think you're going to have a, another busy year in lots of respects. I mean, prices don't look like they're going to abate. Interest rates maybe seem to have peaked a little bit. But the trouble is with, with things like prices going into farming increasing, that has a knock-on effect in terms of consumers. But that's delayed a little bit, isn't it? It is. And I think it's also always important to remember that as consumers, we might see an increase in price when we go and purchase our foodstuffs. But actually the farmer doesn't necessarily see an increase in income and I think that's something that the public don't you know they don't always appreciate and I think that's something that again we might continue to see the pinch. Absolutely well we'll continue to spread the word just before we finish give me the contact details if somebody thinks they may need LRSN's help. So our helpline runs 8 till 8 every single day of the year and the number is 0800 138 1710 and if you don't fancy picking up the phone we do have an email confidential email address dedicated to the helpline and that's helpline at lrsn.co.uk all right amy well fantastic work once again in 2023 and more power to your collective elbows in 2024 and you personally and your family have a wonderful new year thank you steve
I last met up with our next guest in October at the NEC. It was the British Farming Awards and he just received the Outstanding Contribution Award. Well deserved and understandably a very proud moment for Tenant Farmers Association Chief Exec George Dunn. Oh, Steve, thanks so much. Yeah, that was a really, really humbling moment to be given that award by uh, the British Farming Awards in respect of the work that I've done primarily with the with the Tenant Farmers Association, but also stuff that I've done elsewhere, including with the Farming Community Network. And yeah, it was you know a lovely night, and it was lovely of them to to be so generous and giving me that award. So yeah, it was it was a special moment. Well, an award like that, let's face it, is well deserved. Otherwise, you wouldn't have got it in the first place. You don't get something like that by accident. So, we'll start with a bit of positivity and congratulations for that. But there have been over 2023 many, many challenges for farming generally. Are there particular challenges relevant to the tenanted sector, though? Yeah, I mean, we have the ongoing issues, uh, Steve, relating to the fact that. An awful lot of our members are still on very short-term agreements. And this was something that was picked up by the ROC review back in 2022, and we are still having issues around the security of tenure. But it is good, at least, that we are now seeing some of that being recognized by government, and we are seeing some of those issues being addressed by the new Farm Tenancy Forum that was created earlier this year, and also... We have the consultation from the Treasury in the spring budget, which was looking at changing the taxation framework within which landlords make decisions to encourage them to let longer as well. So, yeah, I mean, huge issues, but also some some flashes of light that hopefully will, uh, will, will come into fruition when we get into 2024. And you've had some concerns, haven't you, about who gets the benefit of things like SFI and stewardship? Yes, we have. And again, those are issues that are in play with the Farm Tenancy Forum. Indeed, there was a discussion about those things uh, just at the beginning of December, um, because we are concerned that we are beginning to see landlords taking land back in hand in order to put it into some of the SFI options, including things like the wild bird cover and also herbal lays, which are relatively straightforward options for them to, to use. And obviously, those areas of land coming out of the tenanted sector is against the public policy, which is the government wants to see the amount of land in the tenanted sector at least retained at its current level, if not growing. So we think that individuals who take land out of the tenanted sector shouldn't be rewarded um, for doing that by receiving public money. So we are looking at how we can uh, stop that leakage of land from the tenanted sector and the government are at least live to that. Diversification is a word that's come up numerous times over the year, but that's not always, despite the fact that it can be a good thing in terms of uh, moving away from relying on just one stream of income, but that's not always an option available to a tenant, is it? No, Steve, it's not always available to a tenant to diversify the activities which take place on their holdings because our members have what are called agricultural tenancies, and they are required to use those holdings for agricultural purposes only. Now, of course, there are many examples of landlords and tenants up and down the country being able to come to reasonable arrangements which allow tenants to do certain types of diversification, but it's not available to everybody. We are um, involved in quite a lot of discussions with our members where either they cannot get consent from their landlord to do something or because the landlord wants to wants to exact too high a cost. It might be that they want to 
change the nature of the agreement or charge a, a very high license fee or increase the rent considerably or take something else away from the holding. Um, now, we understand there are genuine concerns that landlords have around how the tenant's activity impacts their taxation status because they get things like agricultural property relief from inheritance tax. We would say to the government, look, if you want to encourage uh, diversification, not just on owner-occupied farms, but on tenanted farms, then just allow landlords to have their agricultural property relief from inheritance tax on the basis that they have let the farm, either as a farm business tenancy under the new legislation or as an Agricultural Holdings Act tenancy from, from the old legislation. So there are ways that the government could easily resolve that issue for those reasonable individuals. But yes, it, it, it's a huge concern for us. And talking about talking to government, you've had conversations with government recently and you've been down to, uh, uh, down to Westminster. Of course, we have an election next year at some stage. The, the smart money, if you like, is on a change of colour of the government. How does the TFA view that? Will it be a case of, well, we'll work with whoever we've got or do you have a different policy to deal with different political views? No, obviously, Steve, the TFA is apolitical. We lobby all parties equally and we spend as much time talking to government ministers as we do to politicians who are in opposition. And and yes, as you say, if the polls are to be believed, then the next administration is going to be uh, headed by Labour. Um, obviously, there's a there's a lot of things that can happen between now and a general election, so we can't guarantee that's the position. But we've, you know, all along had some really good dialogue with uh, with the Labour frontbench team, um, not just their agricultural team, but other bits of their portfolio. Um, we've been particularly um, impressed with uh, Daniel Zeichner, the, the the Cambridge MP, who is the shadow farming minister, who you know has been very keen to understand the impact of government policy on the tenanted sector and wants to be helpful to the tenanted sector. And very happily, in a recent meeting, I had him with the, the rock review report in front of him, which is the, the review into agricultural tenancies, where he had basically ticked every recommendation in that report. So we don't change what we lobby about simply because we see a change of gov- uh, uh, governing party. The issues that we care about and are concerned about are the same whether it's Conservative, Liberal Democrat or, or, or Labour. So we will lobby all parties equally. And how does 2024 look for the tenanted sector? I know you've got various issues, as we've just discussed, but 23 has been a challenging one, not least for weather, but we can't do an awful lot to make any changes to that. But how do you see the coming year? So I think, I think the big thing for us, Steve, is that we've been lobbying for a very long period of time on a range of issues impacting, impacting the tenanted sector. A lot of that came to a head for us in the publication of the, of the Rock Review from Baroness Kate Rock and, and following her working group into the issues impacting the tenanted sector. And we're just beginning to see the benefit of her work coming to fruition. So we've got the Farm Tenancy Forum. We've got the consultation from the Treasury on the taxation framework that landlords operate within when they're letting land. We've got the consultation on the Tenant Farming Commissioner in play. We've got uh, discussions in front of the forum about scheme design for the new Countryside Stewardship Plus. 
So uh, you know, we think if the government gives those issues a fair wind, then we could see huge change of a beneficial nature for the tenant sector. But of course, the tenant sector operates as every other farmer in the country against the economic environment, including you know the, the increased price of, of, of inputs, the volatile nature of of output prices, the weather, which has been a really key factor this year. So there will always be challenges ahead, Steve, but hopefully, specifically for the talented sector, we're, we're beginning to see some, some real change coming forward. That's really good to hear, and uh, let's go into 2024 in positive mode. George, thank you so much for joining us on the Farming Programme, and I wish you and yours a very happy new year. And to you, Steve, and to your listeners. The Farming Programme with our equipped steel stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate, Grantham, supplying the region for over 40 years. A couple of weeks ago, I met up with our programme sponsors, MD Carl Gilbert. Last year, we sat in exactly this same office and I was asking you how things had gone for the previous year and you described it as testing 2022. How's 2023 been for our equipment? Again, it has been another testing year, Um, certainly in the steel industry. uh, Steel prices have dropped significantly. We are hoping in the next quarter of 2024 that there will be some stability and prices will increase. Um, But again, this year, prices have dropped. Um, We have remained quite busy. People have been shopping around for the steel and uh, it's been another, I'd like to think, good year for our equipment, but the steel industry in a whole... Um, it's uh, it's had quite an impact because of global conditions in the markets. Yeah, I mean, last year we were talking about Brexit, we were talking about the, the sort of knock-on, the, the end results, if you like, of COVID and so on. Is this year more down to the general cost of living problems? Yeah, certainly cost of living. I think the interest rates have, have had an impact. There's uh, lots of uh, people who are not uh, confident to spend money. They're just holding back to see what's going on, see if the interest rates drop. Globally, there's been a, a big increase in steel production, which has uh, lowered the prices. It's just how this year's panned out. We expected it to have been not a great year in the steel industry, but like I say, next year, scrap prices are going up in January, which should push the price of uh, whole um, steel prices up by 50, 60 pounds a tonne. Yeah, because the previous years, the prices had all gone up quite significantly. You've seen them coming back down again this year, but still up on two years ago. Yeah, they're still up on what they were two years ago. But like I say, I think it's uh, client confidence has wobbled the markets this year with the interest rates. Um, so hopefully uh, there'll be some more stability next year. OK, and obviously we've still got problems in Ukraine. Is that affecting steel? Certainly is, yes. Um, I think uh, there's obviously a lack of production in Russia and Ukraine. That's having an impact. Um, I think the European markets will hopefully get uh, busier next year. Um, but we just have to wait and see what happens. And you're able to get supplies okay as normal? Yeah, supplies back to normal now. Again, it's predominantly Europe from Spain, Italy, Turkey. But yeah, supplies good, whereas two, three years ago, obviously with Brexit, COVID, um, and obviously the war in Ukraine, it did have an impact, but things are levelled back to, to some kind of normality on that front. And obviously from... The sales point of view, you do a lot with construction industry, you do a lot with farmers. Has there been any change in the market? I mean, construction seems to be having a bit of a hard time of it. Yeah, we found that construction's dropped off probably out of the three sectors we deal with, construction, manufacturing and the agricultural markets. Construction has been the one that's dropped the most. 
The agricultural sector has been quite interesting because obviously prices have dropped, but farmers still need to uh, continue to use steel. So we've had farmers ringing round who probably didn't deal with us in the past who have, you know, want a bargain, want a deal. So they've come on to us. So it's actually, uh, it's been slightly beneficial to us in the agricultural sector. Our sales are up from last year with that market, which we're, we're very grateful for. And how does 2024 look to you and to Arakup and the steel market? Do a bit of crystal ball gazing for me. Well, I'm hoping if the prices increase in January, um, it will sort of like give people more confidence. If the interest rates drop or even stay where they are, we say, you know, within the company that the world needs to go on. And we've been here for 44 years now. So hopefully it will be a 45th year in business. And we, we, we hope to have a good year, to be fair. People will always need steel, won't they? Thanks, Carl. Thank you. Carl Gilbert, MD, and our programme sponsors, Araquip. This is the Farming Programme, end of year review, online and podcast, and we'll be back with the first regular programme of 2024 on January the 7th, online, podcast, smart speaker, and back on Lynx FM from 7am. As we continue our look back at 2023, sadly, rural crime continues to afflict our wonderful countryside with three main devils, theft from farms and of farm equipment, hair coursing and fly tipping. I'm pleased to welcome back to the programme Superintendent Phil Vickers from Lincolnshire Police. Phil, let's start with fly tipping. Have we seen fewer or more incidences in 2023? I think uh, we've made positive progress across the county. The the district councils and the county council have made progress, um, working really closely together, learning lessons from elsewhere in the country and, and from other areas of work that we've done to prevent crime in Lincolnshire as well. So we've seen that the industrial scale fly tipping that takes place in our county it still occurs from time to time and, and if, if anything what I would say that the, the real message for the listeners has been that you report it early give police give the councils the earliest opportunity to, to tackle the offending when we see truckloads of waste being left in in rural lanes in farmland um, it's heartbreaking you know we live in a beautiful county and, and it stands out such an eyesore um, but we can all work together and, and we have seen examples where uh, people People have seen something suspicious. You know, you you see something in your community and you think, well, that truck shouldn't be there. I've never seen that vehicle there before. It's obviously acting in a in a manner that's suspicious. Report it. And if you come across fly tipping and it's occurred sometime in the past, then that's a call to the district council and and they will deal with it. They will investigate and we'll support them. If you see something suspicious happening, if you think it's a crime in progress, if you think that somebody is uh, is dumping industrial waste, then call nine nine nine. Pass all of the information that you possibly possibly can vehicle registration numbers without putting yourself at risk and and we will deal with that so you know we're committed to keeping Lincolnshire as a as a fantastic place to live work and visit because some would try and condone this activity because of charges for landfill going up and so on but it is still organized criminal activity isn't it it is, and, and, I, and I think that simple answer doesn't really ring true. What we see is that the, the waste industry is a regulated industry, and where organised crime sees an opportunity to, to circumvent that regulation and to make a quick buck, uh, they'll do so. And it takes significant investigation resources, but we do it. And you know, we, we support the district councils, we support the environment agency, and we have seen prosecutions of organised crime, organised criminals who are involved in this activity, but it takes all of us to come together and it's not an easy one to tackle and it is possible quite often for you to trace back the source of the stuff that's being tipped isn't it if somebody's paid 
somebody who's on their doorstep to get rid of a load of waste for them. They have been known to leave evidence in there, which has allowed you to or enabled you to trace the source, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we, we, we've we've had examples in the county where uh, someone has has been the man with the van and uh, has has offered to take waste away. And unfortunately, householders haven't done the the sort of the due diligence and checked that they're a legitimate business and they're disposing of uh, of waste in the, in the manner that they're supposed to. And the result is that the waste that maybe you've paid somebody to take away turns up in the the entrance to a field or by the side of the road with the district councils and ourselves we're able to investigate to look at um, information that, that may be provided to us and yes we do trace it back to the householder and, and if you haven't done those checks then you can be held liable for for not appropriately and properly disposing of your waste and you know we, we have uh, people who have been prosecuted for uh, taking the waste from householders but unfortunately we also have examples of householders who've been prosecuted as well and it's all of our responsibility to make sure that the waste is disposed of appropriately. Have we actually seen a change in the incidence of fly tipping? Are we seeing more or less do you think than when we were talking this time a year ago? Um, it's a mixed picture. Um, in terms of organised crime, there are a number of networks that have been taken out, both um, from enforcement activity that's taking place in Lincolnshire, but nationally as well. We see waste uh, in Lincolnshire that, that's been collected by organised crime, organised crime gangs um, from around the country, that they'll, they'll travel some distance before dumping the waste. So it is a mixed picture, and, and it's not as simple as isolated to Lincolnshire. You know, we, we're part of that bigger response. We work with uh, the councils uh, for the counties surrounding Lincolnshire, but it's a national problem. The second of the three big areas of rural crime is is theft, and we're particularly focusing on theft from farm premises, farm equipment, farm vehicles. Awful lot of increase by the looks of it in things like GPS equipment. Yeah, that's been an issue for for a number of years now. And positively, in in October, um, Lincolnshire were able to to prosecute a a man who had committed a number of offences in Lincolnshire. I think half a dozen different offences in this county, but actually had been travelling around the country, stealing GPS equipment and and disposing of it elsewhere. That's uh, based on uh, the tenacity of the investigators. We were fortunate, I suppose, luck always plays a part in this, but we were able to, to secure some information from rural businesses that allowed us to to trace the the property that had been stolen and ultimately resulted in a prosecution but um, you know prevention is always better than enforcement and and if we can work with rural businesses to to keep that gps equipment safe then that's always going to be the better answer for us because this is not just the the typical tom tom or garmin unit that's in a car is it it's rather more uh, (laughs) rather more expensive and rather cleverer than that yeah, they're, they're pieces of equipment critical to farms and rural businesses. You know, the, we see uh, GPS equipment that's worth thousands of pounds, but critical to the business to be effective. And when that piece of equipment is stolen, it's not always easy to replace it. And so it has an impact on employment in the county. And it means somebody isn't coming to work or, or the work isn't being done as effectively as it should be. So, you know, we absolutely recognise the impact and, and we'll do everything that we can to, to, first of all, to prevent the offending, but, but certainly to investigate and to trace the offender. And that third of the the three devils for rural crime, hair coursing. This is one area where there seems to have been a bit of success, isn't there? 
there has been, and, I, and I'm really proud of um, of officers and staff in the county. That um, back in 2019, Lincolnshire took the lead on Operation Galileo. At that time, it was just a, a Lincolnshire operation to tackle hair coursing. Well, we brought together the the top 12 police forces that were suffering hair coursing nationally, um, and that's grown. That's now 32 forces working together, sharing information intelligence about who those offenders are. We always hear about wanting more bobbies on the beat. Well, through the Police and Crime Commissioner and through the Chief Constable, we've been able to bring together that dedicated rural crime action team. They're doing some fantastic things around hair coursing. We've got an analyst who works for us who is brilliant, who's worked in the county for years, knows the county inside out, and has been able to make sure that those officers are in the right place at the right time. Just looking back at the number of incidents that that have occurred in the county, back in the 2021 season, we were looking at something over 1,800 hair coursing offences. The following year, something over 1,500. Well, then in August 2022, the legislation changed and the rural crime team came on board. And in the 2022-23 season, we've seen less than 600. As things look at the moment for, for the current hair coursing season, it looks like a significant reduction again. And, you know, I, I pay tribute to, first of all, the, the victims, the farmers who've reported it to us. We had to rebuild that confidence to, when you see a hair courser, call 999. Give us the best chance of, of catching them in the act. And that's been happening. Um, one of the most moving conversations I had this year was with a, a farmer who uh, who said that typically he might expect to see 40 or 50 incidents of hair coursing on his land with damage caused, with uh, the, the impact on the wildlife and, and threats to, to him and, and, and to his, the team that he works with. This year, he's seen none at all. And, and that, that's a fantastic place to be. That's not just about enforcement. That's about prevention. And the support of the likes of the NFU and the CLA have been absolutely key to that. My my prediction for next year on, on hair coursing is that we will see uh, fewer and fewer incidents again. So, yeah, I'm really proud of what we've done in Lincolnshire and, and we've made an impact nationally. And that's an excellent result, isn't it? I mean, to go from 1,800 to less than 600 and possibly even fewer uh, occasions this year is brilliant uh, from, from everybody's point of view. Does some of that come down to the legislation? Is it finally getting to the point where hair courses are saying the chances of getting caught are increasing and if we do get caught, this is going to be serious for us? They're taking our dogs, they're taking our vehicles, etc. Is the legislation starting to, to bite, do you think? Yeah, I, I think it is. I think it's a combination of factors. I think that um, having the, the confidence of the chief officers and the PCC in Lincolnshire to put resources into rural crime, that means that we're really able to have that impact. But the legislation was a bit of a turning point because it meant that instead of victims of hair courses picking up the bill, that we were able to turn the tables. We've seen uh, offenders prosecuted at court, receiving fines that are increased um, and, and seeing fines and costs in the order of 10,000, 12,000 and up to 18,000 pounds and that properly reflects the cost of uh, hair coursing to victims and the cost of enforcement Um, and and to get the support of the Crown Prosecution Service and the local courts to say, you know, we we understand this is an important issue and and it really impacts on farming, that's that's heartwarming. So it's no single thing, the legislation is certainly part of it but the enforcement, the Crown Prosecution Service and, and the local magistrates as well um, I'm, I'm really pleased. I, I am pleased because I believe that this is a, an offence that we could make a really big impact on and, and we're starting to see that. So, yeah, really positive. And as we head into 2024, uh, any new developments, any new plans, anything changing as we move into the new year? 
I think that we'll see more work from the Rural Crime Action Team. They're a fantastic group of officers and staff um, absolutely dedicated to making rural Lincolnshire safer. We need to, to build that trust from rural communities. We've seen the benefits in hair coursing. There's other areas as well. So um, I'm really optimistic, really looking forward to 2024. Um, I say my, my prediction for hair coursing is that it'll reduce, but for other areas of offending, I think we will become more and more effective using modern technology, drones and, and, and whatever else is available to us, but most importantly, um, building trust and confidence of local communities that they know Lincolnshire Police has got their back. Oh, I think they know that. Well done. Uh, Superintendent Phil Vickers from Lincolnshire Police, many thanks for joining us on the Farming Programme, and I wish you on behalf of everybody at the Farming Programme a very, very happy and successful New Year. Thanks, Steve. I wish you and your listeners the same. Thank you. Two of our regular contributors now to take a look back at the year at the markets, starting with livestock and from Mason's Rural at Louth Livestock Market, Henry Simpson. Morning, Henry. Hello, Steve, and welcome to a special Louth Livestock Market Roundup for 2023. 2023 has been a big year for the market with many changes and records being broken. We as a team are proud of the market's growth and performance this year. Our favourite highlights were penning and selling over 1,100 prime lambs for the first time in living memory on a weekly market in July, then later in August selling almost 1,400 breeding sheep at our partner fair. We then moved into the autumn and despite a change in auctioneer, we saw over 420 store cattle entered into the first autumn special store cattle show and sale. All of these numbers that we have not seen in decades. We'd once again like to thank all the buyers, vendors and staff that support the market week in week out. Their support is necessary to keep the only livestock market in Lincolnshire viable. As for the highlights for our farmer vendors, I would like to quickly run through all the top prices over the year and congratulate the respective vendors. Starting off in the prime cattle, the Fat Stock Show saw top quality stock as always, with a champion heifer from David Nixon of Olford topping at £3,108 or 510 pence per kilo, and the steers being topped by TV Davy of Minting, to £2,335 or 358 pence per kilo, with P&B Hodgson's of Maryland Fen also achieving 358 pence per kilo for a steer. Away from the fat stock show, G.S. Paul of Borley Marsh topped both the steers and the heifers, sending a steer in January to £1,872 and a heifer in March to £1,985 on our weekly market, with a pence per kilo being topped by J.S. Brooks of Strubby, sending a steer in March to £316 pence per kilo, and J.E. Thurlby of Kexby selling a heifer in May to 313 pence per kilo. Now moving on to the store cattle, our spring special sales saw a top from J.E. Thurlby of Kexby with a breeding bull selling to £3,000. The autumn special sales were topped by P.K. Farms of Frisney with a champion heifer selling to £1,700, with a top for the duration of the year going to R.C. Ellison Son of Brig selling a store steer in May to £1,740. That wraps up the cattle and now on to the sheep and starting with the old season lambs which saw a strong national trade at the beginning of 2023 with the top price going to Tim Kirk of Lusby selling to £185 per head and to H. Smith & Son of Thelthorpe to £367 per kilo. Moving on into May we saw new season lambs topped by R. Wood of Fristy to £176 per head and to Oliver Chapman of Saltfleetby to £418 per kilo. To finish off the year, we saw W.A. Allison of Thorsway topping the Factstock show with a pair of champion lambs to £330 per head. The cool ewes saw a tremendous trade throughout the year in comparison to other outlets. Topping the year was H. Smith and Son of Thelthorpe selling to a pen of three ewes in May to £228 per head. 
Once again, we would like to thank all vendors for supporting market and we would like to congratulate all those that have managed to achieve those top prices. We will be starting strong by moving forward into the new year, selling again tomorrow on New Year's Day and taking entries for store cattle as well as prime cull and store sheep. So please don't hesitate to contact Ed Middleton for all entries and marketing advice. This has been Henry Simpson from the Matron's Real Team. We hope you have all had a very Merry Christmas and we wish you a Happy New Year. Thank you. Thanks, Henry, and the same to you and all at Louth Livestock Market. How has 2023 been for the grain markets? Openfield's Alice Killam. Morning, Alice. Good morning, Steve. 2022 saw some historic highs for both cereals, dairy and livestock. However, as we entered 2023, the position of the world had shifted. Concerns over demand as the global economy battled inflation had left us with supply levels which looked ample. What goes up must come down, and commodity markets exemplify this motto. Wheat markets have felt like they have only really drifted lower as energy markets dropped and the global supply chain normalises after two years of the Black Sea conflict. This war is no longer front and centre to the extent that it was, and in some regards the market has indeed adapted around this issue. Both Ukraine and Russia managed to achieve relatively large harvests in 2023, and for the most part we have been seeing grain flow out from this part of the world. It's a difficult year to look back on as we all saw the values dropping down and now sitting comfortably below £200 for nearby movement. Many of you got some tonnage booked forward, but it wasn't an easy decision with it being so far away at the time. You could say, indeed, that since harvest, prices have been extremely range-bound and not a massive amount has critically changed. The lesson learnt here has been to jump on these opportunities, even if they are small when they appear, as we saw time and time again they drop back down again. A personal view, which I believe to be realistic at this time, will we see it jump back to the dizzy heights of £300 plus? Of course, you can never say never, as was proved last year, but I think at this time these targets are idealistic. We all want to do the very best we can for our businesses, so we need to be careful not to let the devil of greed play a part in decision making this year. If you set a realistic target and it is achieved, my advice would be to do something. Keep the ball rolling and you won't be left too far behind. We will all be aware that the spring crop acreage is predicted to be up this year, but remember this has not yet been planted and weather will of course play its part. Again, if opportunities appear to price spring barley forward for harvest or October-December 2024, then these should be considered, especially at current premium levels. Allseed rape has possibly had the most tumultuous ride in 2023, with rises and falls big enough to send anyone's head into a spin. This is a market that needs constant attention. Again, I am aware I don't want to keep repeating this sentence and send you all into a depression before the new year, but we have, much the same as wheat and barley, watched this market fall. Targets for many remain around £400, similarly to grain at 200 When looking back on reports from January 23, the war obviously played a lead role, but there are other factors which remain constant and even ring true for today. The talk of Brazilian weather never seems to disappear, with concerns around the hot and dry weather this year, so this is certainly something to keep an eye on. We have had a very unexciting end to the year, with nothing particularly to cling to. A piece of advice in the new year for those that don't do this already. I'd strongly recommend having a notebook to jot down every deal you do in 2024, with a sentence to say why you did it on that day. In this climate, it's been very easy to look back and beat yourself up about every decision you made. Every deal you do, you did for a reason at the time, and it's very easy to forget that. Now to the weather. It always levels itself out. There will be another day to get back on the land, and farms will be looking like farms again soon. 
It has been depressing being stuck clearing ditches to give plants half a chance of some air. This is hard and miserable work, but the days of sunshine on your crops in the field are not far away. My advice would be to try work together wherever you can. Help each other and share the load. Wishing everyone a happy and healthy new year. Happy New Year to you and all at Openfield and both Openfield and Louth Livestock Market will be back with the regular market reports again from next Sunday. Finally, in our look back at 2023, a word from agricultural chaplain Canon Alan Robson. Farming is not disconnected from all the troubles in the world, even Gaza and the Ukraine and environmental emergency and, and, and. It was interesting, I was listening uh, on the radio coming back from one of my trips south, Reuters was saying that over 40% of people have stopped listening to the news. It's too much to bear. It's too depressing, too difficult. And I think for the farming community, well, farmers are in the midst of it all as well. So it really has. This has been an exceptionally challenging year, I think, for the farming community. Harvest came in mediocre, but after that, it's been... Uh, a bit chaotic. Well, it's just yeah. been wet, hasn't it? Uh, no, <laughs> well, <laughs> apart from anything else. Well, I know I've we always seen, have the challenge I... of the weather and we have to accept that because that's what yeah. farming's all about. But we had the floods a couple of months ago and it's really not dried out at all since. You could probably canoe on many a field down around Boston and Frithville. And, um, yeah, it really is quite... It's quite... Dis- I'm not going to say I, I, I was disturbed looking at it the other week. You know, it, it, so much of the land is absolutely soaked. And I talked to a few people down that end and they said, never seen this in all my farming career. You know, 40, 50 years, never seen it this wet. And that land's, you know, pretty good free draining land, really. But it's absolutely sodden, yeah. And the trouble yeah. is this is going to have knock-on effects, isn't it? Because we've lost a crop, we've lost a lot of winter crops. Mm. That means there's going to be a bit of a shortage next year. That means prices are going to go up and the cycle goes round again, doesn't it? Yeah, I think there'll be a lot of challenges. I think 2024, and I'm saying it after 25 years of doing this role, is going to be a shocker of a year for many businesses and for the consumer out there they're going to have to accept by middle and me- end of next year food prices have got no other way to go but upwards and um, that's a challenge and um, farmers will have to find a way through this but that will only happen if the banks are you know cooperative and helpful and uh, give a bit of holiday to one thing or another Um, because I think cash flow is going to be a really big problem. I don't think any of us will see a year like we're about to say next year. And I don't want to be too doom-laden, but I think uh, we've got to be realistic. As ever, couldn't have put it better myself. Thanks, and a very happy new year to Callan Alan Robson. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Another week of low pressure, colder but drier after Sunday. Just light, mainly southwesterly winds all week. Light rain for the first half of the week, but drier from Thursday. Plenty of cloud, daytime highs between 5 and 7 Celsius, and overnight lows dropping to 2 by Friday. Well, we're back to normal from next Sunday, the 7th from 7am on the Lynx FM app, all podcast platforms, smart speakers, and on the radio at Lynx FM. 
Always good to hear from you with your farming news and stories. Email steve at linksfm.co.uk or tweet at farming show or X if you prefer. That just leaves me to say I'm Steve Orchard and until next week when I'll be reporting from the Oxford Farming Conference, Happy New Year. The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders with Embrook Industrial Estate Grantham. BSI ISO 9001 accredited.